Welcome back, everybody. It's your host, Holly, and I am back today with another solved murder case for you guys. Before we dive into the details of today's case, I do want to give an update on a case that I covered on March 6th of this year for a Missing Mondays episode. Candy Green Gonzalez, a 36-year-old mother, went missing on June 1st, 2021 and had been reported missing the following day. Her family was notified late June that remains that were discovered on May 12, 2022 near the Pikeville Post in Kentucky did in fact belong to Candy. Beyond this small amount of information, there really hasn't been much released, and I haven't seen any word on a cause or manner of death. I do, however, know that this is an open investigation, and if you have information about her disappearance and death, you can contact the Kentucky State Police at 606-433-7711. Obviously, this isn't the ending to her story that we had hoped for. However, I do hope she is at peace and that her family will soon get answers and get the justice they deserve if foul play was involved. One more thing before we get into today's case is that I want to give a huge shout out to my dear friend, Christy Warren, from the Firefighter Deconstructed podcast. Some of you may remember Christy from an interview that was done with her for our podcast. She is an incredible friend, podcaster, retired firefighter, and now an author. Christy just released her book called Flashpoint, A Firefighter's Journey Through PTSD. This book is available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback versions, which I will have the direct link to her book listed in the description of this episode. Christy's story is an incredibly inspiring story, and I think that many of you will be able to relate with some of the struggles and hurdles that she had to overcome within her life to ultimately save herself. The mental health struggles that first responders deal with is a topic that isn't talked about enough. They are exposed to some of the worst of the worst calls and are still expected to function at a high level and compartmentalize those things and not allow it to bother them. This story really dives into Christy's time as a firefighter and some of the calls that she responded to and how it affected her life. Again, Christy is an amazing friend, and I absolutely adore her. I am so incredibly proud and so excited that she has finally released her book. So please go check it out and show her some love and support. Christy, congratulations. You rock. All right, so with those two announcements out of the way, let's get into today's case. Today's case does involve some sexual assault, so please be aware if that is a trigger for you to just skip right over this episode. Today's episode is on the murder of Linda Sobeck. Thank you. 
Linda Elaine Sobeck was born on July 9th, 1968 to her parents, Robert and Elaine Sobeck in Lakewood, California, which is located in Los Angeles County. Growing up, Linda had your average childhood. She was raised alongside her brother in a happy home where her parents worked hard to provide for their children. As a young girl, Linda was more of a tomboy than a girly girl. She loved to play outside, go camping, and she was always looking to go on an outdoor adventure no matter what they were. Linda never really got into makeup like most young girls, and her mother described her as someone who was just shy and a little bit clumsy. It was when Linda was in junior high that her mother Elaine really tried to encourage her to step outside of the box and become more outgoing. She taught her daughter how to do makeup and got her into a modeling agency, hoping that this would break her out of her shell and that she would flourish into what her mother believed that she could be. And at first, Linda was this young, goofy girl that people described as not having much natural grace. But when she stepped in front of the camera, she transformed into this confident and driven young woman. This was ultimately the shift in Linda's life that would rocket her into the modeling world. In high school, she competed in local beauty pageants and did some modeling work for amateur photographers, and it wasn't long before she was working on bigger modeling gigs where she was posing for magazines and working for advertisers. However, Linda was only 5'4", and because of that, she knew that she would never make it into the world of high-fashion runway modeling. After some success with her modeling career, she decided that she wanted to try out to be an NFL cheerleader. So in 1989, at the age of 21 years old, Linda tried out to be a cheerleader for the Raiders football team. And at that time, the Raiders were located in Los Angeles, which for those who follow football know that they are now currently here in Las Vegas where I live. Linda, to nobody's surprise, made the cut. Linda beat out hundreds of other women for a spot as a Raiderette. Becoming a Raiderette was an incredible boost in Linda's career. It opened the door for so many opportunities modeling, and it allowed her to make connections with people that she otherwise wouldn't have met. And her family was so incredibly proud of her huge accomplishments. They, of course, also got to enjoy the perks of Linda being a cheerleader for the Raiders. Her family got to attend games and parties and mingle with big-name individuals. This Raiderette gig was exactly what Linda needed to book very large modeling shoots. And there were times where she was doing three different shoots a day. Linda was very ambitious and had big dreams and goals within her career, and it seemed like nothing could stop her. But while she was this busy woman within her career, she also made sure to make time for her family, and she enjoyed the little moments with them. She also made sure that she spoke to her mother every single day, even if they were just brief conversations to say hello. 
When Linda wasn't modeling or spending time with family, she was living that big LA girl life, enjoying things like backstage passes to concerts and big events, parties, clubs, and red carpets. She was living a very luxurious life. And because Linda was in the modeling world, oftentimes in a bathing suit, and because she was a cheerleader that obviously has to wear a pretty revealing outfit, she had to dedicate a lot of time to the gym, making sure she was in the best physical shape that she could be in. And not only that, but she also had to spend a lot of time making sure that her skincare routine was good, that she was eating healthy, and that she had great hair. Linda always had to make sure that she was looking her absolute physical best all the time in case she landed a new shoot short notice or she got a call for an acting gig, which landing a role in an acting job was the next thing that Linda was gunning for. She wanted to go beyond the modeling and cheerleading world. She was ready to make it big in Hollywood. Finally, it seemed like all of her hard work and dedication was paying off because Linda was able to score a huge audition for the television show Married with Children. She was really hopeful that this was going to be the big break that she needed to get into the acting world, and she was scheduled for this audition on November 16th, 1995. On the morning of November 16th, Linda received a call for an offer to do a photo shoot. When she realized that she had enough time to do the photo shoot and then go make it over to the audition, she agreed to it. And once more, that was just Linda. She always made sure that her days were packed full of work because she was so driven within her career. At 10.45 a.m., Linda was at her apartment talking on the phone briefly with her mother. She told Elaine that she was in a rush to get to her photo shoot, but assured her mother that she would call her later that evening after the audition to tell her all about it. Elaine waited up all night for that phone call to come, but it never did. On November 17, 1995, Linda Sobeck's family discovered that she never showed up for her big audition that she was so excited about, and immediately this raised a huge red flag. There was no way that Linda would miss that audition because it was the big break in her career that she was waiting for. Not only that, but Linda was very professional in her line of work. She would never no-call or no-show a job or audition like that. Elaine got in touch with Linda's roommates to see if they had seen or heard from her, and they all said they hadn't seen her since the day before. Linda also didn't have a cell phone, so it wasn't like she could just easily be reached when out of the house. By the time that the Sobeck family filed the missing persons report with the Hermosa Beach Police Department, 24 hours had already gone by since anyone had seen or heard from her. Immediately, the district attorney's office got involved with this case. 
The police hit the ground running with this case and began doing all that they could to find Linda. While the police were working behind the scenes, Linda's family, friends, and roommates also busted their butts finding ways to help bring her home. The first thing that her family did was get thousands of missing persons posters printed. On it, it displayed a picture of Linda as well as all of her information. They also had a $20,000 reward offered for her return. Anywhere that her friends and family could hang or pass out those flyers, they did it. And it was said that in a span of just days, they passed out over 50,000 flyers. The first initial days of the investigation, there wasn't a ton of movement on the case because police really didn't have anything to go off of. Linda, who typically told at least one person where she was going or who she was going to be with for photo shoots, didn't follow her normal precautions. So the police were really kind of just grasping at anything that they could to begin piecing together what happened. They started a tip line for anyone to call in with tips, and in the first several days, that phone line practically was dead silent. One of the things that her family and friends and authorities were most worried about was the fact that Linda was in the public eye so much. It's not uncommon for people in Linda's line of work to be the victim of stalking. And that was kind of the route that the authorities were initially leaning towards with Linda's case. They interviewed and questioned everyone that they could to try and see if she had confided in anyone about someone stalking her or if she ever felt like she was being watched or followed. And it didn't seem like anyone had any kind of leads. So they started asking them about places that Linda would go to. And her roommates and family all talked about how she would go to Gold's Gym, where she would work out sometimes two or three times a day. They also told them about her favorite restaurants and places that she would go to to go shopping. And time and time again, the police were coming up completely empty-handed. While investigating all possible avenues, they also started looking into Linda's romantic relationships. Who was she dating? Did she have any bad breakups recently? And things of that nature. They found that Linda had a long line of men that were interested in her, and she had dated a few well-known famous people during that time. However, it seemed like every time she got into a relationship with these guys, she would get her heart broken over and over again. Her brother recalls in an interview that she had dated one guy that was a bodybuilder, and of all of the men that she had dated, this guy was the one that he was worried about. Her brother said that this guy was very demanding of Linda and that he also was very controlling. It was said that this relationship had ended not long before Linda disappeared, and so naturally this guy was contacted when she went missing. Ultimately, though, he was questioned and ruled out as having any kind of involvement in her disappearance. Everywhere that the investigators turned, they kept hitting brick wall after brick wall, which was so frustrating for them because not a single person jumped out as a potential suspect or a person of interest. 
Everyone that they interviewed were all completely cooperative and wanted to do whatever they could to help find Linda. Four days into the search, her family was doing everything that they could to remain hopeful that she would be found. They feared that maybe Linda was being held against her will, so they continued their pursuit to spread the word. By this time, the media picked up the story and were interviewing her roommates and family and had her story on almost every news station at all hours of the day. The police were hopeful that this media coverage would bring them some sort of leads to send them looking in the right direction, and that is exactly what happened. The police received a call from a man who said he made an interesting discovery in the Angeles National Forest, which is located 35 miles away from Linda's home. This man said that while he was doing his community service, he was emptying a garbage can and found pictures of a beautiful woman. He thought that she was attractive, didn't know why anyone would throw away these pictures, so he ended up putting some of the pictures into his backpack and took them home. He thought nothing more of it until he saw Linda's face all over the news later that evening. And when he did, he immediately realized that that was Linda in those pictures and he hurried to call the police. The police rushed over to the Angeles National Forest in hopes that the garbage truck hadn't picked the trash up yet. Thankfully, they made it there just in time, and they began sifting through each bag thoroughly, and they found a lot of significant evidence. Inside one of the bags, they found additional pictures of Linda, as well as her personal daily planner, where she wrote down every appointment and photo shoot that she had done. They also discovered a rental agreement for a Lexus SUV. This rental agreement was very significant for the authorities because this Lexus SUV was actually a very rare vehicle and was a prototype Lexus, and there were only two of these cars in existence at that time. With all of this information in hand, the authorities, family, and volunteers began scouring the Angeles National Forest in hopes that they could find Linda. It was during this search that one of Linda's friends made another huge discovery. Inside a trash can located six miles away from where Linda's planner had been discovered, they found Linda's makeup bag thrown inside. Inside of the makeup bag held everything that Linda would need for a photo shoot, including makeup, her hair curlers, and a pair of black stockings. They were confused as to why the two items that had both belonged to Linda would have been found so far apart, as if someone was randomly dumping things here and there so that they wouldn't be found. Meanwhile, during the searching, investigators were looking further into the man listed on the rental agreement for that Lexus SUV, and that man's name was Charles Rathbun. Charlie's name had also been a name that was listed in Linda's day planner. So the authorities were really hopeful that this would be a big break. That Charlie possibly had some sort of key information on where Linda was or where she was headed on November 16th when she vanished. 
While looking into him, law enforcement learned that Charlie worked as a freelance photographer that specialized in photographing cars. They also learned that he was working at a publishing company that published some 30 magazines, including car magazines. The co-workers that the authorities spoke with about Charlie all had good things to say about him. He was very well known for his photography skills and was known to be an all-around nice guy, or so they said. They said that he would often pick up the tab at the bar for his buddies, or he would go above and beyond when dating women. The authorities also learned that Charlie and Linda had originally met in 1992 at a car show where Linda was walking around trying to drum up some modeling business. When Linda met Charlie there, she was very interested in working with him and was eager for him to book her for some shoots. After this first meeting, Linda modeled fairly often for Charlie and was featured in several automotive photo shoots, including a big one for Chevy trucks. But eventually, Charlie and Linda kind of lost touch. Both of them had so much going on in their careers that their lives just became busy. Through Linda's friends and roommates, investigators learned that just two weeks before Linda's disappearance, she and Charlie reconnected on site of a photo shoot, and they exchanged contact information once more. While investigating Charlie Rathbun and trying to piece together how he fit into all of this, the authorities had another major development take place. Six days after Linda went missing, her white Nissan was located in a Denny's parking lot in Torrance, California, which wasn't too far from Linda's home in Hermosa Beach. And what is absolutely crazy is that while police were processing Linda's car, they got a very unexpected phone call from Charlie Rathbun himself. According to Charlie, he said that he and Linda met up at the Denny's in Torrance, where he looked over her portfolio before they both went their separate ways, which was a lie. Charlie agreed to go down to the station later that evening to chat further with police about the last time that he saw Linda, but he never showed up, and instead, he stayed home, got drunk out of his mind, and began writing what police referred to as his I'm sorry letters. This is where he pretty much wrote about how he had a great life, a wonderful career, and a loving girlfriend, but something awful had happened. After he wraps up writing this letter, he calls friends to tell them how he's going to commit suicide, and he was just kind of mumbling, and they couldn't really understand what he was saying. Obviously, this was extremely concerning for his friends, so several of them rushed over to his home where they found him staggering around beyond drunk with a 45 caliber pistol in his hands. While they were trying to talk him down and help him, the gun accidentally discharges and ends up striking one of his friends in the arm. Of course, the police were called and Charlie Rathbun was arrested for the shooting. The authorities felt like this was their opportunity to interrogate Charlie about Linda's disappearance, and so they began heavily questioning him. 
and he tells the police that the reason he was so upset about Linda's disappearance was due to him being hired to take photos of this Lexus SUV prototype. He stated that he hired Linda to model with the SUV, and at one point he said that they were needing some sort of action shots of Linda behind the wheel performing donuts in the car. He said that she didn't really know how to do a donut very well, so he told Linda just to get out of the car and he was going to show her how to do them while she stood nearby watching. Charlie said that it was during this time that he was performing these donuts for her that he lost control of the car and accidentally struck Linda, killing her. During this interview, Charlie was very distraught and seemed remorseful for accidentally killing Linda. He said that he panicked and didn't know what to do, so he buried her, and he agreed to show the authorities where it was that he buried her. Seven days after Linda went missing, on November 23rd, Charlie Rathbun took investigators to a dried lake bed in the Angeles National Forest to show them where he buried her. But once he was there, he claimed that he couldn't remember exactly where it was. One minute he would say that it was one direction, the next minute he would point to a completely different direction and say, no, 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 it's actually over there. And for several hours, he kept yanking them around, pretty much sending them on a wild goose chase. The police finally told him, like, listen, we need you to show us where Linda is because finding her would corroborate your story about this accident. And this is when Charlie completely shut down and stopped cooperating. So the investigators were left to scour the Angeles National Forest without his help which was going to be next to impossible because it's approximately 700,000 acres and they truly didn't know where to begin looking. So practically, it was like looking for a needle in a massive haystack. Unfortunately, instead of gathering around a dinner table for Thanksgiving, her family gathered at the Angeles National Forest aimlessly searching for their beloved daughter and sister. While the search was taking place on foot, investigators back at the station were beginning to uncover a very disturbing past that Charlie Rathbun had. He was known to be this big and incredible photographer within the industry, but they learned that he also was known to snap at the drop of a hat. And when his temper flared, it really went all out with him throwing chairs, yelling and causing a major scene. And not only that, they learned that Charlie was also known to make unwanted passes at the models. He would harass them and speak to them inappropriately. Charlie was known to date some of the models that he had working for him as well. But there were models that constantly worked for him that would turn down his sexual advances. And for Charlie, it was almost like something dangling in front of his face that he wanted, but he could never reach. And apparently that drove him insane. As they dove deeper into investigating Charlie, models began coming forward with their own information about him and different encounters that they had where he had lunged at them when they were alone with him and how they nearly got away. For a lot of these women, they knew that he was dangerous and of course tried to warn other models to stay away from him. 
Police finally got the search warrant granted to begin searching his home, and in there, they found several guns and also took a couple different computers in for analysis. On the computers, they found several pages of derogatory jokes about women, and a large majority of these jokes were about blondes. They also discovered a computer bag that contained items that Charlie claimed were things that he took with him to photo shoots. All of the items, however, seemed very weird. It was things like a towel, duct tape, a paracord-style rope, as well as alcohol. And I mean, I'm not a photographer or anything, but I'm not sure what exactly he would need these items for if he was doing a lot of automobile photo shoots. But what do I know? So for the police, his story of needing these items for shoots didn't seem very plausible either. And so they once more confronted him with the evidence and he began to crack further. Later that night, he attempted to kill himself again in the jail cell. He cut his wrists and wrote with his own blood on the wall, I'm sorry. After this suicide attempt, his attorney came to visit him and talked Charlie into once more helping the police find Linda's body. The investigators were trying not to get their hopes up that Charlie was going to actually show them where she is after that first time that he practically sent them on a wild goose chase. But with literally no real direction to go on in the search for Linda, at this point, they really had nothing to lose. On November 24th, Charlie Rathbun was loaded up inside of a sheriff's helicopter and taken by air to the Angeles National Forest, where the helicopter touched down in several places. People got out, began to search, but found nothing. This at first once more seemed like some sort of sick game that Charlie was playing with the authorities. Until late in the afternoon, the helicopter touched down one last time. The authorities and Charlie get out, and he leads them directly to the spot where he buried her. After they retrieved her body and her family got the news that she was no longer alive, they were so distraught that they were unable to go to the morgue to positively identify her themselves. And I can only imagine how incredibly hard something like that would be. Leading up to her being found, her family was still holding out hope that she would be found and that she was just being held against her will. So the thought of her not being alive anymore was completely unbearable for them. Instead, they had to ask the help of a neighbor and longtime family friend to be the one to positively identify Linda. Thankfully, even though Linda had been buried for nine days, her body was nearly perfectly preserved due to the location where he had buried her. And the medical examiner was able to begin piecing together what exactly happened to her. Immediately, it was apparent that this was no accidental death like he claimed while performing donuts in the car. There was absolutely no sign of an impact from a car, which I think we can all agree that that story was pretty far-fetched. Instead, the markings all over Linda's body showed a very violent death. She had petechia on her eyelids, which is like little bruising spots that can be caused by strangulation. They also found that Linda had been sexually assaulted. 
Linda's blood alcohol level was also well above the legal limit. When presented with this evidence, Charlie's attorney argued that they were misreading the evidence and that Linda wasn't this good girl that everyone thought she was. Instead, he said that Charlie dared Linda to take a shot of tequila and she didn't stop with just one drink, that she continued to drink until she was drunk. He said that she became so turned on by the photo shoot that she came on to Charlie and then they had consensual sex. He said once they were finished having sex, they resumed their photo shoot and that was when he accidentally hit her with the car while doing donuts. He said that the hit didn't kill her, but she was injured. So he tried to pick her up and place her in the back of the car to take her to get help. He claimed that she was freaking out and screaming, saying that he had ruined her audition coming up by hurting her, and he said that she began kicking and hitting him out of anger. He said that she was just so out of control angry that he ruined her chance at this audition that she started kicking the inside of this rental car to damage it to try and make him pay for what he had made her miss out on. In order to stop her from damaging the car, Charlie said that he climbed on top of her to restrain her, and it was during this time that he noticed that she was no longer breathing. Now, they thought that some of his story could potentially be plausible due to Linda's cause of death being neck and chest compressions, and the fact that her blood alcohol level showed that she was intoxicated. Furthermore, they also found dents and signs of a struggle inside the car that could support his story. But even though it's maybe kind of, sort of, not really, but maybe plausible, the investigators weren't buying it and felt like they were going to be able to get a murder conviction. In the fall of 1996, the trial for Charlie Rathbun began. And just days after the trial began, Rathbun's attorney calls the prosecutors with new evidence they claim proves Charlie's innocence and corroborates his timeline of events. The new evidence is five rolls of film that Charlie's brother had retrieved from the Angeles National Forest. And he claims that all of the pictures that are on this film is from his photo shoot with Linda and proved his story to be true. When the prosecution examined the photos, it did show Linda posing for Charlie. But when you look a little closer at the pictures, it is very apparent in Linda's face and body language that she's extremely uncomfortable. It was said that some of the photos appeared that maybe she wasn't posing at her own free will and that potentially she could have been forced to pose the way she was. But to the prosecution, it was very obvious that Linda was not having a good time and very much didn't want to be there or be a part of what was going on. One thing that also stuck out to them wasn't just the way that Linda looked in these pictures, but also what she was wearing. In the photo, she had on black stockings, which looked exactly like the pair of stockings that were found with her makeup bag inside that trash can. Law enforcement sent those stockings off for testing, and it came back positive with traces of her blood. 
The fifth roll of film that the prosecution looked over was double exposed and shows a woman posing provocatively. Charlie claimed that these pictures had been taken in the backseat of the Lexus shortly after he and Linda had sex. But Charlie must have thought that the investigators were a bunch of idiots and wouldn't notice because it was very clear that the car these photos were taken in was an Oldsmobile and not the Lexus that Linda had been modeling with. And they knew that because the car's insignia was visibly seen in the images. So whoever was in these pictures in this Oldsmobile was not Linda. But to further prove that this wasn't Linda, the medical examiner viewed the images and compared them to Linda's and was able to prove that the images were not of the same person. The defense really tried to paint this image of Linda being this aspiring model willing to do and show whatever she could to make it. Which, according to those who knew Linda best, she would have never posed in such a manner. During the trial, when the defense tried to paint this negative picture of Linda, her family had to sit through that and listen to them attempt to drag her name through the mud. Her brother recalled how uncomfortable and horrible that was for them. Charlie already had taken Linda's life, but to try and degrade her and paint her into something that she wasn't was a really hard pill for the Sobek family to swallow, and rightfully so. Now, the defense team was really banking on these pictures to throw a wrench into the prosecution's case, but the prosecution wasn't having it, and they revealed in court the full forensic report that also revealed that Linda had ligature marks around her ankles and wrists. The markings were very violent and deep and showed that Linda had struggled and fought to free herself from her restraints. She also had severe bruising on her thighs and had an earring that had been ripped out of her earlobe. The prosecution also put two other models on the stand who had interactions with Charlie before Linda was murdered. Both women testified that Charlie expressed his hate for Linda and said that she was, quote, a little bitch and deserved what was coming for her, end quote. One also testified that Charlie said that Linda was difficult to work with and he would never work with her again. After closing arguments, the jury was released to deliberate and they came back fairly quickly with a verdict. They found Charles Rathbun guilty of first degree murder. Six weeks later, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Her family was so relieved to know that justice was served, and they had been given just a small sliver of closure. However, while it is closure, they're still left with a gaping hole that her absence has caused. Many believe that this is a tale that is worth telling because it's proof that models are subjected to extreme amounts of sexual harassment. In a documentary I watched on this case, there was a model who had spoken out about Charlie and the way in which he treated her in the 90s. And her concerns were completely brushed off as Charlie just being a typical man. Had people within the industry taken this other model seriously or even taken other models who expressed 
other concerns about him seriously, maybe Linda would still be here today. Linda Sobeck was a beautiful and driven woman. She would have gone on to do amazing and incredible things. It is completely heartbreaking that her life was cut short far too early. Charles Rathbun is currently serving his life sentence in the California Institution for Men. I hope that it is absolutely miserable for him and that he is haunted by the memories of what he did to Linda. Crimeaholics, that is all that I have on this case. If you're not already a part of our private Facebook group, make sure you find it by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. You can also follow us over on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast, and if you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me over on TikTok at the same username. Lastly, if you wish to follow me personally and keep up with what I'm doing in life, you can find me over on Instagram at crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, that is all for today's episode. As always, remember to be aware and take care.